It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm KSL's Debbie Worthen. Four years ago, my son Asher was diagnosed with autism. After getting our footing, we decided it was time to celebrate the news with all of you. And that's how Celebrating the Spectrum was born. Each week, we consult with the experts and others who are learning to navigate life with a loved one who has special needs. This is a place where we find hope, look for solutions, and connect with those working to create a better world of inclusion. Thanks for joining us for Celebrating the Spectrum. We have an incredible guest joining us today with a very unique perspective on autism. Jennifer Cook is an autism advocate and the author of nine best-selling books, including The Foundation's The Asper Kid's Secret, Book of Social Rules, her groundbreaking memoir, Autism and Heals, and upcoming My Friend Julia, a Sesame Street book about autism. Most recently, Jennifer was featured on the Netflix original Love on the Spectrum U.S., as the dating coach. What I found absolutely fascinating about Jennifer is in 2011, she was identified as being on the spectrum. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. I really appreciate it. You have such a unique journey with autism that has led you to where you are in your life today. So tell me about when you got your original diagnosis, because you were well into adulthood at this point. Absolutely. I love how you put that well until yes, I was 35, um, which was two seconds ago. Now, uh, obviously, um, that was 11 years ago. Um, I was identified after my three children. At, back in the day, the phrase that was used was uh, Asperger syndrome. But now that is just a persona or a profile that's included under the general autism uh, profile. So um, yeah, I have a daughter and two sons, um, all of whom were identified. Um, and it was subsequent to them that I was actually identified. So uh, it was quite a process, um, especially for my daughter. It's harder to get an accurate diagnosis for girls than for, for girls. women. That's a whole subject unto itself. I mean, we could have a, a whole conversation just about that. Um, but yeah, and much easier for, with my boys. Um, but getting the diagnosis was certainly a turning point in my life. So tell me, did you already know no, absolutely not. Okay. You know, I, I put the puzzle pieces together myself. But look, growing up, you know, um, first of all, the word autism, I wasn't familiar really with growing up at all anyway. Well, you know, um, I'm your same age. And, you know, when we were growing mm -hmm. up, it just was not the world that it is today. Oh, completely. Right. Completely. You couldn't be more right. Um, and I think if you used the word autism, it would have been, you know, really doctors using it in, in a much more clinical kind mm -hmm. of setting with a much more classic presentation. Well, so, and, and we um, pictured you, Rain Man. You know, I always pictured well, like, Rain Man. Yeah. As did everybody else. Right. I mean, you were spot on, you know, and um, back in years BC, which is before children, um, I taught <laughs> and was a social worker. And, oh, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And, you know, I can look back now and see kids who clearly, mm -hmm. you know, fit the profile. But at the time, I would have just said quirky, kind of strange, right. a little bit 
you know, different, um, but which is pretty much what everybody else would have said. Maybe I would have said it with a bit more compassion, I'd like to think, Mm -hmm. um, because they were often even the butt of teacher's jokes, you know, which is sad to say, but it's it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, But that all being said, no, you know, especially with kids who, you know, there's an association with language loss or delayed speech mm-hmm. and autism. And, and that is certainly a, pro, a part of the profile for some people. Right. For others, we come out as chatterboxes, yours truly included. <laughs> um, I like, the, you know, so I, it's sort of like, you know, how um, there's a, f- first of all, it should always be clear that not everybody on the spectrum is a savant. Not everybody has these, you know, outlandish powers to be able to do multiplication in their head, et right. cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but some do. And I like to think that I'm sort of a, a verbal savant and that words are my artistry. I play with them. You know, to me, they're concrete. I see words instead of seeing the meaning of the word. I'll actually see like the letters written in front of me. Literally the word. Literally the word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that's how when I'm, you know, when I'm writing, obviously nine books, that's what I do. Words are what I do for a living that, and you know, speaking professionally. So um, for me, the language delay was not you know, a part of my profile at all. I was speaking in full sentences at 18 months. Um, I know that, or at least that's what I've been told. So (laughs) definitely a very different world, you know, and growing up, I was the overachieving student. I was Mm. the one who, if you gave me a direction, I would follow it to the letter. Because if I did, right, because if I did, then I knew, I knew what was expected of me. So in school, for instance, you know, when you're given very clear parameters of this is what's going to get you the teacher's approval, mm-hmm. well, then I was going to do exactly what was going to get me the teacher's approval, because right. I knew what to do. Right, that's very effective cases- for you. Oh, incredibly. Right, so. right. However, that being said, you know, doing the things that get the teachers gets the teachers approval isn't necessarily what's going to get your peers approval. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the things that other kids would just sort of socially intuit. I didn't. I couldn't. Um, and so I sounded like a little professor. And in fact, it's interesting because that's that's the phrase that Hans Asperger used to describe mm-hmm. his um, his well patients. But yeah, that's what I, my teachers used to describe me as was a little professor, which they thought was adorable. But it's not so adorable as you get older. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, you know, the thing is, uh, with autistic kids and into adults is, mm-hmm. you know, I've been told it's hard to read a room. And that's all the social part of it, you know, so being the professor, while that has some incredible advantages for getting good grades and and winning over your teachers, you're right. The other kids that they don't really love that. Not too much. No, no, because we we are we do best in social situations where we have defined roles. So, for instance, um, you'll see that a lot of people on the spectrum will have friends that are older or younger, but less that are exactly the same age. Mm. Um, and that's because you know who's the boss. There's a clear pecking order, if you will, and you know who's supposed to be leading what and who's not supposed to be doing what. Um, and it That makes is so interesting in- you say that. Yeah, yeah I, that has not um, occurred to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so if you know who's who's in charge, who's not in charge, it 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 makes things a lot easier because spontaneous flow of conversation, um, one-on-one interaction, that can be the most daunting. Except if you have scripts, and that's a big that's a big thing that a lot of us do, which is, and it's literally called scripting, mm-hmm. where you've got and and to me that's why I can do, um, you know. It's how I was the social chair for my sorority. I mean, I know that sounds completely wow. opposite of, of, yeah, exactly, of all things to be, right? But, um, but yeah, because I could, 
I knew what I needed to say. I would have mm-hmm. thought about it. I would consciously think about what do the, you know, what do people need to hear, et cetera, et cetera. And then I could put together what I was going to say ahead of time so that it sounded eloquent, funny, whatever, mm-hmm. witty. Um, but if I were in a situation where I can think of a situation like during during a, a party where there were sort of some fuzzy social rules where it was an invite-only party mm-hmm. and I was supposed to be guarding the door kind of thing and the president brought in a whole bunch of friends who were not on, on the guest list. Now, the cool thing would have been, you know, of course, for her to say something to me then would have been a nice thing to say, just don't worry about it. But I'm sitting here in my role, my clear role with right. my clear defined, clearly defined, yeah. and I'm saying, you know, no, they can't be in here. And I'm getting <laughs> made fun of as the goody two shoes. Right, right. She's the dang president. Right. You know? So you, you miss those social cues. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So your three kids were diagnosed as autistic? Yes. Okay. And yes, so during right. their mm-hmm. diagnoses, is that yes. when yours started coming to light or kind of tell us about that, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah, evolution so- of how you got to this point? Sure, sure. Yeah, so exactly right. Um, you know, so I've got red hair. It took three times before I'd had a child with red hair. And it seemed so surprised. Everyone was so surprised. My first two had, you know, dark brown hair. And hmm. it, they were expecting the outside of my kid's head to look like the outside of my head. Right, right. Yet it's interesting. Right. Well, the inside of the head turns out to be kind of similar, too. Yet that surprises people, which I hmm. think is a little bit odd. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, my, my daughter was the first um, to be diagnosed, but that was definitely a process. It was really a matter of... Like a like a, a never ending adventure of getting this diagnosis, then that diagnosis, then this diagnosis, then mm-hmm. that diagnosis, which is a, a process that a lot of parents go through, which is incredibly. It can be heartbreaking. It is exhausting. Yeah. It's like hearing thing All after thing after thing after thing <laughs> wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's there's this disorder and that disorder and this disorder and that, you know, sensory disorder, anxiety disorder, all the D's. And, you know, if you could just say difference, it, how 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 kind would that be? Because when you're, you're going right. through all these things, and you're having to enumerate what seems to be wrong, you know, or by other people's opinions or what's wrong with your kid. And it, in my opinion, it was just differences. It wasn't wrong. It was just differences, um, you know. It's it is it's exhausting and it's um it's depressing to be very honest. There's no it's depleting. Um, but when we got through all the you know through the end, she was diagnosed. Then her brother, their dad was diagnosed. My goodness. <laughs> and then yeah, oh yeah, and and my my second husband is too. We're like the superpowers. I'm telling you, <laughs> I love it. Um, and, <laughs> and then the littlest guy. Um, I so my father had passed away uh, not too long before this before the whole autism thing came along, and basically it seemed to me that he he was a brilliant brilliant man, but he was the quintessential absent-minded professor. You know, he was a brilliant litigator, mm. um, and yet you know he wouldn't remember the names of people that he had been playing bridge with for you know years um it was the social things that would just boggle him and um he died of lung cancer and looking back on it clearly the man was self-medicating with with cigarettes oh interesting. he was you know trying yeah yeah i'm just trying to get through social anxiety um but as i came to understand more and more about autism and at, at that point asperger's i realized my dad was a quintessential you know example of it which meant to me that maybe there was a link that may, would make sense that would make 
everything in my life that didn't quite make sense make sense. Um, so I had always felt like I was playing the game of life without the directions, hmm. and everybody else seemed to have them. And it was it was in those areas, like I said, in the areas where there weren't explicit directions that I would stumble and fall, and it didn't make sense because. The constant feeling that I've described, and I've gotten a lot of yeses and nodding heads to this before, is um, that constant duality of feeling, how can I be so smart and so stupid at the same time? Oh, interesting. And that is, yeah, and that's a heartbreaker. Yeah. And, and what does that do to a person's self-esteem? You know, it breaks it. Um, because you can't, it's like, um, you know, there's the expression, right? Pulling the rug out from, from under you. It, well, it's more like pulling the rug out from under yourself over and over and not knowing how you're doing it. And like, um, and, and probably you, thinking like, how come everyone else can figure this out? Like I'm a smart completely. person. Yeah. Right. And, and people lose patience with that. Right. And, you know, at a certain point, it's hard to convince someone that you're not being, oh, lazy or self-centered or flippant or whatever the case may be, but you genuinely are not getting something that to them seems obvious. But it's no different than saying, well, you know, I don't know why you can't pick up a second language like like I can or something like that. Right. 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 It's it's just it's just the opposite. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the the most pressing part of being on the spectrum is something called mind blindness or theory of mind, which is challenged. So theory of mind is basically the organic, easy, you know, natural ability to step into somebody else's perspective, somebody else's shoes without having to really think about it. That's something that we can't do. Mind blindness. We cannot do it organically. We can learn to do it, however, which is it, because we don't do it naturally. That's where you get the stereotype of somebody who's extremely uncaring, no right. empathy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I, yeah, that, I agree. I agree with right? that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It can be empathy to the point of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but but what happens is you have to be taught, OK, to stop and try to figure out what might somebody else, how might somebody else hear this? Why might they think about it this way? Hmm. It doesn't, it simply doesn't occur to you. Right. And you have to learn situation to situation to situation. The ironic thing is that most of the world doesn't really take the time to step into our shoes and see what it might be like. <laughs> it's not so um, ironic. Yes. It, yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. So, okay, yeah. so, so how much what does how, it do to your soul? It yeah, can be crushing. Oh, it's yeah. crushing. Exactly. I, I can't even imagine. So how much would knowing you are on the spectrum through your formative years change things mm-hmm. for you? I think it might have changed them greatly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that so there really is um, an epidemic of eating disorders and dating violence uh, among girls on the, the spectrum in particular, hmm. um, incredibly, incredibly vulnerable to and both are um, deadly, um, for sure. Um, I suffered from anorexia, I battled anorexia. And when I was in college, I was in a violent relationship, I am certain that um, that would not have happened. Uh, if you know, if I had understood it felt perhaps more, there's an expression I used to say that if you feel like you're difficult to love, you'll you're willing to love for crumbs uh, yeah and i think mm-hmm. yeah that's what you and feel that's I, what you believe you're worthy of yeah. that's all you Absolutely. believe you're worthy of mm-hmm. and when you get 
that you know attention especially if it's big and broad and 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 public kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. then you you will do anything to make sure that stays because and you'll tolerate anything to make sure it stays because you've spent your life um kind of fighting tooth and nail for me i was in high school when i was 15 i got the lead in our um school musical which was damn yankees and that old song whatever lola wants lola gets <laughs> uh that was me doing a striptease at 15 which is a whole conversation in right. and of itself really. yeah right <laughs> but but, um, you know, that really changed my life. And the thing is, you know, you can become this sort of leads us into the show that, mm-hmm. you know, we've been talking about love right. and spectrum um, that uh, you can become exceedingly good at flirting. I literally had the nickname the flirt, hmm. uh, which is not which I thought was adorable and cute. Um, and very different than dictionary head, you know, yeah, um, right. <laughs> but, different from the professor. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, but by the same token, if you don't really know the power of the words that you're saying, you mm-hmm. can get yourself in in some seriously dangerous situations. Yes. And so um, I can look back and think, my God, if I had known if I had been able to I remember very clearly asking my mom, I think I was about seven and saying to her, can you teach me how to make friends? Hmm. And, oh, that is just you know, so heartbreaking. Her, heartbreaking. But yeah, I wrote a letter to Santa asking for friends one oh. year for Christmas. So, oh, I mean, my gosh. But I know. I, know. And, I just want to like hug that little girl. Oh, and your mom but knew my, nothing. You know, she was just trying no, to get through like, this, too. She doesn't know what's going on. Completely. And I'm an only child. So this was the first go round, mm. you know. And um, she said, you know, that she just kind of looked at me and she just said something to the effect of you just do. Mm. But the problem is I couldn't just do. I right. would have. I would have absolutely oh, just done. Yeah. I didn't know how. Yeah, right. Okay. So let, let's uh, talk about why. You, and I think I know the answer to this, but why did you decide to start writing books? So, you know, I would love to say that I decided I didn't. It was really a a fluke. And this is where I am very much of the belief that my career over the last 10 years has been something that was, you know, quote unquote, meant to be and not something Mm. that's so um, indicative of me being the most amazing thing that's, you know, since I spread. Uh -uh. I think that um, basically there's an expression that if three people tell you something in a week's time, it's the angels talking to you. I don't know about that. But what I do know is that my kids were in the typical OT you know, occupational therapy, doing sensory stuff. And um, they had this special, the psychologist to work on play therapy, you know, blah, 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 all the things that they were doing. And the experts were asking me, hey, so why do you do that with your kids? Why do you teach them that way? Why do you play with them that way? Why Mm -hmm. do you why do you talk to them that way? And the questions weren't coming in a way that was accusatory, but genuinely inquisitive. Uh, you know, my answer was just, I don't know. This is how I think. Apparently, it's how they think, too. It right. just makes sense. Um, and, and it was working. And it was working. Yeah. And so one of them said, well, you should start a school, which I thought was hysterical with three children. <laughs> under the age of 10. Um, but, you know, they you know. Saw, the thing is, I, I know where they're coming from. They see this need and they're like, oh, you get it. You know what you're doing. You, you do should it. start a school. And you're like, are you just kidding me? Exactly. Are you kidding me? And I was right, like, right. Sorry. I'm just busy trying to make sure the minivan is, is packed, you know. Exactly. Um, but, but they said, you know, you should write a book. And again, I sort of got dismissive. And the one psychologist said, you know, I genuinely think you could change the world, the way the world sees people with autism Mm -hmm. or Asperger's at the time. Right. Um, Kids with Asperger's. And how do you say no if there's something you can do that might benefit children? Oh, my gosh. Especially in this realm, you know, where we're I mean, my my big mission is 
you know, mm-hmm. inclusion in the world and for everyone to be able to celebrate the spectrum the way and and the reason we chose the name celebrate the spectrum is yeah, because I yeah, do believe it. it's something to be celebrated. You know, I mean, look at all of yeah. your amazing and unique qualities that you may or may not have if you weren't autistic. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. You, you, we can't imagine any of us, right? You delete one part and what else goes right. along with it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so basically, truthfully, I sat down in six weeks and I wrote a book hmm. and here, here's where the magic happens is I submitted it to me. That was the, the bravest thing I've done in my life. Wasn't, <laughs> it's not been standing in front of giant audiences or whatever else. No, no, no. It was submitting my first manuscript because huh. there was such a risk of rejection, but the, it was received apparently somehow made it to the CEO's desk of the, of the publisher by that. That was a Monday by Friday. I had a contract. Wow. And I, I know, and like had another contract before the first book was out and it just exploded. Well, the, the, there, there so, was a need, yeah. you know, there was a need from this That's perspective. What, so. Okay. Jennifer, yeah. when we come back, we're going to talk to you about love on the spectrum. So what it was like working with these autistic adults in front of the camera and how your experience has helped so many other neurodiverse adults. So everyone stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. We are with Jennifer Cook today, autism advocate and dating coach on the recent season of Love on the Spectrum US. All right, Jennifer, my husband and I, you know, our son is autistic. He's six. So we're, you know, we're in our infancy with this whole thing. We have absolutely, yeah, yeah, we have loved this show. And I'll tell you why it's given us hope. You know, we've seen these these kind of quirky adults trying to, you know, navigate their way through dating. And it has really shown us, you know, Typical people have all kinds of relationships and diverse people have all kinds of issues in their relationships. So tell us, how did you get involved with Love on the Spectrum? You know, um, this is just sort of another example of, I guess there's a plan out there. Um, I had heard from the producers uh, who, uh, of the Australian, so the show was in Australia first for two right, seasons. Right, right. Um, and became wildly popular down there. And so um, they had reached out and were reaching out, I suppose, to sort of experts in the U.S. just to kind of get a, a feel for, or as I understood it, to get a feel for um, what the reception might be like here, mm-hmm. if there were people that we thought would be, you know, good 
contest not contestants participants right um you know etc cetera, etc cetera. in fact that's one of the things i always say is they're not contestants they're participants and it's such a different thing from if folks haven't seen it this is not like a la bachelor this is so different no it, fe- um, it felt so authentic and organic to me yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and you're 100 percent right it is was yes um so we talked a little bit and um i guess they kind of kept my name and a year later had um, another conversation with one of the producers and, you know, I had seen the show. And so they kind of said, well, we're, you know, we'd love to see if you'd be interested in doing the, you know, the role the uh, that Jody Rogers, who is the autism expert in Australia had played. Mm-hmm. And la-di-da-di-da, I'm being flown out to, you know, at that point, it was Nashville for an, essentially an audition for Netflix and working with somebody there. And then um, all things went according to plan. And very excitedly, they offered me the, the job. And um, what a what a, a hoot. I mean, it really was so <laughs> much fun. Yeah. How much fun was that? Oh, it was great. It was great. It was, you know, um, it was exceedingly hot. And that's what I can (laughs) mostly (laughs) in in LA in June. Um, That's where we did a lot of the filming. Um, And, you know, there were definitely some behind the scenes kind of funny incidents, like where one outfit that I had come to the the, uh, show in was apparently it had too many polka dots. And so that wouldn't work on camera, Mm -hmm. which was completely fine. But nobody had told me this. So we're at 9am at TJ Maxx, like shopping desk at TJ Maxx and then getting dressed in someone's driveway. So, you know, whatever. Like, there goes the idea that people on the spectrum cannot be flexible because you Because there be, you go. Yes, you had to. Yeah, but, there you go. But, uh, Half naked in someone's driveway. Right. When, um, when they... Was, yeah, go... Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it was, it was such a respectful experience. Um, that's what made me want to, you know, be involved in the first place. Um, meaning mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, kind of putting someone with a disability on a, on a stage and going, yeah. let's all like, you know, circus freak kind yeah, of thing. Like, and, let's um, exploit that. Wouldn't mm-hmm. have done that. Exactly. Right. And I just wouldn't have participated if it were something like that. Right. No, I love that. Now there is a scene where you are helping um, one of the, the people on the show and you're rolling a ball back and forth yeah. and, and t- tell us about that scene and what you were, sure. you were doing there. But I was going for mm-hmm. sure, absolutely. So, um, one of the things that folks on the spectrum do is um, we are incredibly literal thinkers. We do great with concrete examples. Now, that being said, again, having been a teacher, I will tell you that everything that I say that is really important for people who are on the autism spectrum only ever benefits people on the human spectrum, right? Only ever. Mm-hmm. So that which is makes something perhaps necessary for teaching someone on the autism spectrum simply only makes it better teaching for everybody else in general. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's just the case. But so the participant that um, her name is Abby and Abby, um, Abby's mind, I sometimes say that our minds go either like we're either incredibly hyper-focused. So like a train, you know, in one direction, just going, um, or we're like fireflies. We're kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Abby was in all, all over the place mode. Okay. And when we were first talking, yeah. And you know, the, what I wanted her to be able to do was, so, you know, I'm ha- helping set them up for their first dates, right, where conversation is awkward for a lot of people, you know, and the main thing you got to be able to do, at least, is to carry on a conversation, mm-hmm. a dialogue, not right. a monologue. And she's oh, kind of oh, all yes. over the place. And you're right. right? Th- this would help. <laughs> this would help people in the dating world universally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah no exactly. one wants to be with the, with the monologue person. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's where it was kind of going. It yeah. was, um, you know, and so I sat down with her and some ping pong balls and rolled a whole bunch of them at her asking questions because uh, I wanted her to feel and what she did feel overwhelmed because mm-hmm. that's what she was doing to me was she was just asking question, 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 question. It sort of feels like a an interrogation, not certainly not a conversation. Right. And she said, I it's too many. And I said, exactly right. And then what we started doing was I would roll a ball to her and ask a question. She'd roll it back and ask a question mm-hmm. or give an answer and then back and forth and back and forth. So we had gone back about 10 times and I said to her, do you know what you just did? You just had a conversation and she was so delighted. And I loved that moment so much because yeah. she was just so proud, you know? Um, but yeah, it just takes sometimes stopping and slowing down and giving, um, you know, more than just a, more than just a speech, right? It's right. more than just a, something that's didactic, but getting in there and really having an experience makes something make sense to everybody. How rewarding was it to help those adults looking for love? Oh my gosh, it was great. And I am such a geek. Like when I get to see, um, so two of the people that I worked with, um, they're actually in long-term relationships. Oh, I know. Now, and we the follow them on Instagram. On the yeah. So we're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yes, exactly. we're just like great, right? rooting for them. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm like, I, I Abby is great. I'm in love with Sabote. I'm just, like, <laughs> like, is my, oh, yeah. like, I don't know. He's my, uh, like, charm. I just think he's phenomenally yeah. sweet. And um, he's so, his whole family was just wonderful. It was really great to get to know the families, too. That was as much a part of it as anything. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding. You know, that's for all that I do, you know, my, my biggest awards that sit behind me are three little rocks and a hand drawn picture of a smurf Mm. and that's because um you know there was one young man who literally drove all over scottsdale arizona one night knowing that i was giving a talk there for uh, for an organization and was trying to give me a gift which were his three collection his uh, three rocks from his collection of his most favorite things in the world wow to just tell me how much one of the books had meant to him and the little Smurf was a little girl who had heard a story of, of mine of being bullied when I was a kid. And she um, didn't really talk and didn't really make eye contact with me. But she gave me this picture um, and said, I've been bullied too. Here, this is for you. So you're not alone. Oh, my Somebody gosh. Somebody my Smurf when I was a kid. Yeah, right. And so there you go. Like, those are the treasures. That's that. That's the big, re- you know, like, that's the stuff that makes me cry. That's the big reward. No, and definitely. As, as it should be. Right. And so these moments, like, there's a, a moment in the show when Sabote and Rachel um, start singing Let's Go Fly a Kite from Mary mm-hmm. Poppins. And I just thought I was going to completely lose it. It was the sweetest, most genuinely loving moment. Right. If you haven't seen the show, folks, please. I'm, you know, um, it was it was in the top ten um, in the U.S. on Netflix for two weeks for good reason. Oh yeah, and it's still up there. It's still up there. It is just a precious experience. It really is, and in the most respectful and um, I think human kind of way. I agree. The human connection was was a very very beautiful thing in that show. So what would you tell families with a loved one in their family that are struggling socially due to autism or due to, you know, some kind of social disorder or, or what did we say? Difference, social difference. Any of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's everything is hard before it's easy. Mm -hmm. Everything, you know, um, think of a toddler learning to walk and um, the reason they look like little Frankensteins and fall, <laughs> and fall down, right, is that because they actually have to be able to pull themselves up right. to have the strength to continue to walk. They've got to fail in order to get there. So one of the things I call them finger strings, I, I teach these little um, 
like memorable phrases with lessons behind them. But I couldn't in the same way I could say ping pong ball to Abby now and she'd know what I meant, right? You know, having a, a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of the same thing. I'll say light bulb because um, Thomas Edison famously said it took him about a 1000 prototypes before he got a working light bulb. And he said, I didn't fail 999 times I found 999 ways to not make a light bulb. And, you know, so it's like those little toddlers, we've all got to, we've got to get through our bumps in order mm -hmm. to gain our strengths. So that's for the parents, that's for, you know, kids, that's for looking at your child and thinking, um, you know, are they going to be able to do it? Absolutely. You right. will be astounded. You will be astounded. Um, but it's okay to remember that everything is hard before it's easy. And that's something that you can teach your child again at any age. And you can remind yourself just using the word light bulb so that when they have an experience that is hard and they get better at it, that's a great time to then point that out, mm -hmm, reflect, explain, look at it, and mm -hmm. then say, you know what? Here's the little thing about the light bulbs. Every time you do that, I'm going to say light bulb and you're going to know you just did another thing that oh, used to be hard that. for you, but now it's easy. Uh, no, I love that. And I think sometimes with any issue that we're facing, we need to take those that time to recognize the moment when we've had some successes. You know, otherwise, it's just oh, one big, long challenge. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Oh, completely. What is the one thing that you would want people to know about living with autism? I suppose it is that that feeling of, of that frequently there is the feeling of feeling so smart, but so stupid. Mm -hmm. And that at no point is somebody just trying to be um obstinate or lazy or uncaring. There's always a disconnect because misbehavior just means missed behaviors. Right. There's always, there's always um, a telltale beforehand um, and that the heart is as big or, or bigger, you know, actually in, in, there are two types of empathy. When you measure one, um, folks on the spectrum are extremely more empathetic um, than a neurotypical brain. Um, and so, I would say just to be gentle, to be patient, to be kind, over explain it. I used to like blues clues. If you think you're having to explain too much, you're probably just getting there. Oh, okay. Good. Good. That's good to know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then, okay. And I'm, I'm going to ask you where people can find your books, but I, I also want to follow up with that. Have you thought about writing, you know, like a dating book? You know, well, so my, my Aspica's secret book of social rules, um, that was the second book that I wrote, um, actually just came out in, in June, um, 2022 as its 10th year anniversary edition. And so there is a whole chapter on dating. Oh, I love um, that. That being, yeah, that being said, it, it's, it's, um, there's been a lot of interest. So yeah, so maybe that'll be, maybe that'll be the next one. No, that is wonderful. All right. Well, I, I want to tell you a couple of things that I've learned today by listening to you. Um, first of all, that theory of mind. And I, I think I'd heard that term before. I didn't really know what it meant. But that sure. theory of mind where, you know, for, for neurotypical people, it's organic, it's easy, that ability to step in somebody else's perspective, where with those on the spectrum, that is not natural, but it can be taught. And I, lo I love that idea that it can be taught. And Absolutely. and then um, I also love hearing about your journey and how you look back at your father and you knew, you know, there is a very high probability that he was also oh, yeah. on the spectrum. And, and and look how much you loved him. Look how that did not matter oh, to you. Really? You know, you loved him for who he is. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have any final Absolutely. thoughts? Anything else that you'd like to add? I think I love the way you I love the way you kind of just wrapped all that up. No, I think I just would ask people to be patient, mm-hmm. um, to always assume kindness, always assume the best, always assume the best intentions um, and um, be curious because life on the autism spectrum is just life on the human spectrum with the volume turned up. Love it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jennifer Cook, autism advocate, author of nine bestselling books and featured on Netflix original as the dating coach. Celebrating the Spectrum is a KSL podcast.